0: Morning, everyone. I just want to be happy. Is that funny? How many times have you heard someone say that? Or maybe you said it yourself. In every uh, human heart, there is this universal desire to be happy, isn't there? And that should tell us something, right? Uh, That we've been created to be happy. Uh, That we're wired for happiness. And I was thinking about this in the shower last week. I was down in Pennsylvania. Uh, Sam and I went down to help assist the church down there. And uh, we were staying at a a small hotel and um, I was in the shower, and I saw something that made me think about this. And so, I took a photograph, because uh, obviously I take my phone in the shower with me, and, and it, was, it was body wash. This is what it said on it. When life gives you one too many lemons, and you've misplaced your happy place, then squeeze here and enjoy some joy-inducing body wash. So there you have it, <laughs> right? You want to be happy? Go to to True by Hilton and you can check out their body wash, right? Um, But of course, you know, marketing companies, advertisers, they all know this. Uh, They all know that we're all searching for happiness. This is the string they play on, isn't it? And so, for example, if you're on Instagram, uh, you will know happiness is right there at your fingertips, right? Here's, uh, Here's the proof of it right there. Instagram saved my life. Happiness is at your fingertips. Um, Or what about uh, capsules? You can get happiness in a capsule now. Maybe you'd rather take something uh, to help you. So let's look at that. Here's one. Happiness, it's called. It gives you wings, this uh, particular capsule, right? Or if you don't want it in a capsule, you can put it in your tea, right? And go buy some happy tea, right? There, drink that, and you can look like her. Or maybe you'd rather try a different uh, route. You could go to Harvard. You know that? You can go to Harvard and find happiness at their new Center for Happiness. You've seen that? Here we've got it right there. New Center for Happiness there at Harvard you can go to. Thank you. Happiness sells, doesn't it? Happiness sells because it's something we all want. It's what we were created to experience. Uh, When God created the world, it was a supremely happy place. But when man chose his own way over God's way, um, all kinds of sorrow uh, pierced God's good creation. So now in our present fallen world, there is this constant ache within us. There is this uh, continual, unfulfilled desire to get back to that happy place. And happiness uh, seems so elusive though, doesn't it? Because it depends so often on our, on our circumstances, and uh, which are so often out of control. So if things are going well, life is good. We can feel happy. But even then, it can be tinged with a degree of anxiety because we don't know how long it's going to last, right? Something could happen. It may be a redundancy or illness. Bereavement, divorce, uh, an accident, uh, an accusation. You know, suddenly our happiness evaporates. The sunshine kind of goes out of our lives behind a cloud. Our lives become overcast. And actually, when you think about it, even when things are going well for us, um, we all live under the shadow of death. And uh, that's enough to make anyone despair. And yet... Into that darkness and despair, the wonderful light of the gospel has broken in to bring us good news of great joy. And joy is superior to happiness, right? So a few mathematicians, I created an equation for you, all right? Here we are. Joy is greater than happiness, all right? Joy is greater than happiness. Now listen to Henry Tyler in his book, Jump for Joy. Let's read this together. He says, Joy is superior to happiness as it is in no way derived from or dependent upon what happens in this world. It is the gift of God. His joy will enhance our days when things are good and we have all we desire, but it will not desert us when, with a sudden shock, life deals us some cruel blow or devastating experience. For this unchanging joy comes from our unchanging God. And it's this joy that God wants to share with every one of us. Listen now to Psalm 16. Let's read this together. Psalm 16, verse 8. This is what David says. He says, I've set the Lord before, always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad My whole being rejoices. I love that. My whole being rejoices, he says. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is the realm of the dead, or let your Holy One see decay. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, many years later, the Apostle Peter actually quoted those same verses. Uh, You can read it in Acts chapter 2. It's on the day of Pentecost. And he applies them to Jesus, um, who was not abandoned to death, but who rose again, so that whoever believes in him would know the path of life. And it will lead them to everlasting joy In the presence of God. The joy that God originally intended for his creation. But is that something that we will only get to experience one day. When Jesus returns bringing heaven with him. right? When it's heaven upon the earth. Will we only get to experience that fullness of joy. um, The joy that we were created to know on that day. And uh, that's really the path here that I want to take us on. This morning, and it's a path that uh, begins and ends with God. So let's start there, okay? The first important point that we have to understand in this is that God exists and has always existed as a fellowship of three distinct persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God who exists as three distinct and yet inseparable persons. In other words, they are who they are together. One God who dwells in an absolutely harmonious, loving, joyful relationship of three persons. And that's why the Bible says God is love. Right? God could not have been love unless there was somebody to love. And it's not that he had to create us in order to have someone to love. No, he is love. Right, He didn't need to create in order to be who he is. So how can God then be called love? Well, Jesus, the eternal son, gave us the answer when he said in John 14, he said, the world must learn that I love the Father. And then a little later on in John 17, he says, Father, you have loved me before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, there existed this fellowship of love, this fellowship of love uh, together. The Father loving the Son, the Son responding in love to the Father. Now, you might be sitting here wondering, well, what about the Holy Spirit? What part does He play in this? And it would seem that the way that their love is expressed is through the person of the Holy Spirit. And we actually see this dynamic happening in Luke chapter 3. This was when Jesus was baptized. If you know the story there, we see the interaction there between the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in in Luke chapter 3. So if you know the story, you'll know that when Jesus was baptized in water, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son, he said. The Father made his love known to the Son through the giving of the Spirit. Right? Their love is bound together through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just love, it's also joy. There is joy we see there because again, at his baptism, the Father said, this is my beloved Son, In whom I delight, in whom I rejoice, in whom is all my joy. And so in this Trinitarian relationship, you see, there's this constant overflow, not just of love, but also joy. There is a delighting and rejoicing in one another. The Father delighting in his Son, the Son delighting to do the will of the Father and empowered by the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Psalm 16 can say, in his presence there is fullness of joy. Because it's a constant, overflowing joy. And so it's this God in three persons, this blessed Trinity, who is the source of all joy. And, or as Michael Reeves uh, wrote in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. Let's read this together. He says this, Indeed, he says, in the triune God is the love behind all loves. The life behind all life, the music behind all music, the beauty behind all beauty, and the joy behind all joy. God is the happiest, most joyous being in the whole universe. He always has been, right? He didn't create the universe because there was something lacking Rather, he was so full of joy, his joy overflowed into its creation, right? Creation was made in joy. Just think about the joy that we all get, you know, when we look at the beauty of the world around us, you know, the, the, the patterns and the colors and the varieties of plants and trees and insects and the animals and, and birds and fish and so on, most of which we'll never get to see. Right, And that's just our planet. Think about the whole universe, the beauty that's out there. and Well, who, who gets to enjoy all of that? Who's it all for? Listen to Dallas Willard. He said, We pay a lot of money to get a tank with a few tropical fish in it and never tire of looking at their brilliant iridescence and marvelous forms and movements. But God has seas full of them which he constantly enjoys. He says this, he says, Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. Great tidal waves of joy must constantly wash through his being. Right? God is the most joyous being in the universe. But it's a joy that he wants to share with us. As I said, the source of that joy is found in God himself in the love and the delight that's always existed between the persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's a joy that overflowed like a fountain, cascaded out, resulting in the creation of the world and of mankind. And uh, we were the extension, therefore, of his love so that we might get to share in his joy. Praise God. But here's the thing. As we heard, man thought happiness could be found in pursuing his own path rather than trusting in the goodness of God. And so he lost his footing on the path of life and became pierced with all kinds of sorrows. And it's not just mankind, God grieved as well. You know, we read in the Bible, don't we, in the days of Noah, when God saw the wickedness of man and the evil that had ravaged his world, where it says that he grieved. God grieved that he'd ever made mankind. and We see God expressing anger, holy wrath at the injustice and the evil that exists. But what we've got to understand is that that is just a temporary response to the fallen world that we live in. Because God is fundamentally a God of love and joy. Right, That is continual. That is unchanging. That is everlasting. Sorrow and anger are a temporary thing because God has purpose to put things right, doesn't he? To redeem his creation from the curse, so we might once again live in the fullness of his joy. And that's why the angel announced good news of great joy. A Savior had been born. One who is going to put things right. The eternal Son was born as a man, Jesus. And it's in Jesus that we find the answer as to whether we can know fullness of joy now, even though we may at the same time be experiencing sorrow. Right? It's in Jesus we find out why joy is superior to happiness. Now, when you look at portraits of Jesus... In, in you know, throughout history, writings, paintings, film, theater, whatever it is, how is Jesus usually portrayed? That' we're sad, a bit somber, solemn, you know. And I suspect that the intent there is to show someone who is serious in his purpose. But I suspect also uh, it's a reflection of what we see in the Old Testament, where he's connected to this suffering servant figure. Uh, where it says in Isaiah 53 uh, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Although it makes it clear it was our sorrows that he carried. But in becoming a man, you know, Jesus suffered. He really suffered. He experienced what it is to live in a fallen world. Now, it's been pointed out that what we, when we read the Gospels, we, you know, there are times when it says Jesus wept. He wept, like at the, uh, the death of his friend Lazarus. What you don't read is Jesus laughing. You know, you don't, you don't read anywhere where you know, it says, you know, Jesus saw the funny side of it and chuckled to himself. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see that, do you? So did he just walk around, do you think, with a heavy heart? Two things to consider there. First, there are many things about Jesus that are not recorded for us in the Bible. But we do know that he was born as a real man. He was thoroughly human. He was a man like us, except without sin. And that means he must have laughed. I mean, imagine him growing up as a boy, playing with his friends. What's more, he wasn't alone, loner. He wasn't withdrawn, because we know he went to weddings. He spent time socializing with people, eating and drinking, with some of the most unreligious people, Uh, That there were tax collectors. and He went to Matthew's party. He had shared in the the normal joys of life. And people were drawn to him. All kinds of people. So surely he must have had a a warm, uh, winsome disposition, don't you think? But secondly, and more importantly, Jesus had continuous, uninterrupted fellowship with his father in whose presence there is fullness of joy. right? Which means even when he was sorrowful, at the same time, he knew that fullness of joy. And that explains uh, what the writer to the Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 1.9, where he's actually quoting Psalm 45 and applying it to Jesus. And this is what it says. Let's read it. Hebrews 1.9, it says, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And that anointing there refers to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Sam was referring to it, to it earlier on in, in Psalm 133, about just that oil you know, dripping down over um, you know, his body. And it's the oil of gladness. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus walked the earth full of the Holy Spirit, and in constant fellowship with the Father. He, he experienced continual pleasure and, and, and the delight of the Father uh, towards him um, through being anointed with joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, it's this uncirc- unbroken circle of love and joy that exists within the Trinity. And it means that Jesus had more joy than any other man. Above his companions, it says. He must have been the happiest man who ever lived. And actually, we see a glimpse of it in the Gospels. And You may not have seen it there, but it's in Luke 10. And it's when Jesus sent out the 72 on their mission um, uh, to heal the sick and to demonstrate that the kingdom of God was at hand. And it says they came back rejoicing, full of joy, because they said that even the demons submit to us in your name. And do you remember Jesus said to them, he said, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? Don't let the source of your joy be in what you do, let it be in who you are as sons and daughters of God, because that was the source of Jesus, that was what sustained Jesus, it was that joy. It wasn't what he did in healing the sick and preaching sermons. It was it was in his relationship with his father. And actually, we see this confirmed in uh, Luke 10, 21. Let's just read that. Luke 10, 21 says this. It says, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And right here, in this passage, we see again that interaction between the Trinity. And we see a glimpse of the joy that exists in their circle. Right? Because we see Jesus, it says, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, and at the same time rejoicing in the Father, praising him for his sovereign grace. And in fact, Jesus here is so overwhelmed with joy, there seems to have been a spontaneous outburst of joy, like, like he expressed it out loud. Um, the word that Luke uses here for rejoicing is actually more intense than any other word for joy in the New Testament. And I know that we can't tell that just by reading it in our English Bibles, but uh, the original Greek word was a word agaliao, agaliao, which describes an ecstatic, rapturous joy like you can't contain yourself. It's a joy that has to be expressed out loud. Like, yes! Maybe even laughed out loud. Ha! Or a joy that that makes you want to jump up and down. Yes! In fact, the root word of that word means to jump up and down. That's what happened in that moment. He couldn't contain himself. There was an outburst of joy, of rejoicing. And uh, here we see the fullness of joy. The joy that exists within the Godhead, which lies at the very heart of the universe. And do you know what's the most amazing, astounding thing of all? That Jesus came that we all might enter into this sacred circle of joy. Amazing. That we might experience ourselves the joy of of the godhead as we too have fellowship with the father with the son and with the holy spirit it's what god always intended for us right from the beginning it was the gracious will of the father and that's why he sent jesus right it's the good news that the angel was announcing because jesus came willingly to enter into our suffering he died in our place paying with his own life for all of our wrongdoing so that when we turn to Jesus and we entrust our lives to him, we are brought into union with him by the Spirit. And because we're joined to him, we're therefore brought into this joyful communion that exists with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're brought into their loving circle of joy. And it's a blessing that's actually signified in baptism. know, we're going to be baptizing some uh, people here very soon. And uh, looking forward to that. Always a great time. Uh, so we'll be immersing them in water. They go down into the water and they come up again. Okay? And it signifies our being united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Uh, but Jesus said that we are to do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's like uh, we are therefore being plunged into this inner life of the trinity right in whose presence we have fullness of joy and in fact Jesus makes this explicit for us in John chapter 15 where before going to the cross he told his disciples they were to abide in him and he in them remember that when he said I'm the vine you're the branches right John 15 it tells them abide in me as I abide in you And this is what he says in John 15, verse 11. He then says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, it's surely true that our joy will only uh, be perfectly full and complete when Jesus returns And we all will be raptured. I'm not talking about us all being secretly whisked away somewhere, okay? which was a popular, fanciful teaching that started in the 19th century. I'm talking about what Jesus experienced when he was enraptured. Flooded with unspeakable joy. Because, you see, on that day, the battle will be over. Evil will be finally eradicated. All sorrow and sickness will be gone. And the glory of God's presence is going to fill the whole earth even as it fills us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But until that day, the reason why our joy can still be full now is because of what Jesus says here in this verse. He says, my joy will be in you. That your joy may be full. So he's not just talking about our joy, he's talking about his joy in us. His joy in us. As we abide in him, we experience his joy as a constant in our lives. We get to enjoy what he enjoys, which is the continual, inexhaustible joy of the Father. Right the delight that the father has in the son he has in us continually That's why we were created It's why we've been redeemed So I want to ask you this morning do you know that joy in your life Do you know that joy in your heart I'm not just talking about in your head knowing about it I'm talking about do you, is it your experience Can you feel that joy The Father's pleasure and delight in you in your heart. Is that a joy that you're experiencing? A joy that cannot be extinguished by circumstances. I heard someone say that joy is one of the vital gauges on the dashboard of the Christian life. You know? When that kind of needle dips, when you when you lose your joy, you need to pay attention. uh, Because you're vulnerable. When you feel like, you know, when, you, when your gas is low, you're running on empty, or it's like when the, when the engine light comes on, you need to pay attention. It's an indicator. Uh, you shouldn't ignore it. So I want to ask you this morning, what's the needle indicating on your joy gauge today? Right? What's your needle indicating on your joy gauge when you lose your joy, it's a spiritually dangerous place to be in. Think about it. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, if that's what sustains us and strengthens us through life, all right, um, then the joy of the Lord is like a barometer of our spiritual life, of how well we're doing. In 2006, 12 men tragically lost their lives in West Virginia in a mining disaster. Some of you may remember uh, that on the news. It was a methane explosion caused by a build-up of those dangerous gases underground. Now, in the early days of coal mining, they used to take canaries into the mines. Uh, canaries are those bright yellow songbirds, right? And they are very sensitive to air quality so the miners used to take them down in little cages into uh, the mines with them and, and as long as those canaries were singing the miners knew the air was safe but if the gas levels became toxic then the canaries stopped singing they started to wobble there on the perch and eventually fall off christian joy is a bit like that singing canary One of the first signs of spiritual danger where we are vulnerable to temptation, where we might lose our way on the path is when we lose our joy in the Lord. Right, Our heart stops singing. So how can we guard against that? How can we experience then the fullness of joy that Jesus offers us? Well, We need to go to the source, right? It's why Jesus says, Abide in me. Abide in me. So we go to Jesus, the one who is full of joy. Uh, We go to receive from him, to drink from him, draw from him. But how do we actually get to experience his joy? How did Jesus get to experience his father's joy? Anyone? Can you remember? Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? At his baptism, how he got to experience the Father's joy through the giving of the Holy Spirit when he heard those words coming from heaven. The Holy Spirit is the embodiment of the joy that the Father has in the Son and the Son has in the Father. And so in the same way, the joy of the Lord in us is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's that anointing of the Spirit. So we come to Jesus... To ask him, to drink from him, because he's the one who promises to fill us with his spirit. To abide in Jesus is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how we experience his fullness of joy in us. Um, Now, let me show you that in Ephesians 5, as we begin to wrap this up here. In Ephesians chapter 5, This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Let's read it together. Verse 15. He says, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. That will just lead to your ruin. But, Be filled with the Spirit. That's the continuous tense there. Be continuously filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or literally spirit songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see it there? In other words, be filled with the Spirit and you'll sing like a canary. That's what he's saying. Be filled with the Spirit and you'll sing like a canary. And we actually see that happening in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Right When the first disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They couldn't contain themselves. There was this overflow of praise, of joy in the Lord as they're praising him and they were even praising him with languages that they've not learned because this was supernatural. This was the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure some of them may well have been singing their heads off as well, singing their praises to God because the whole crowd, it gets the attention of a big, saying, what's going on here? And so some in the crowd said, look, they're full of wine. But Peter said, no, they're not. They're not drunk. It's not wine that's making them merry. It's the Holy Spirit. Is essentially what he says there. Right? It was this joyful transformation of the disciples that led people to ask questions which opened the door for the preaching of the good news of the gospel that resulted in 3,000 people coming to faith that day. So people may ask, is the pursuit of joy... The best use of our time. Considering the evil days we live in, you know. Listen to Terry Virgo on this. Let's read this. He says, quote, talking about Ephesians 5 here, he says, The apostle Paul argued very differently. It's because the days are evil that he instructs the church to make the most of the time by being filled with the Spirit, speaking to themselves in psalms and hymns and spirit songs, singing, making melody in their hearts to the Lord. God's answer to the lost and guilty world on the day of Pentecost was to unleash on it a company of men who at first sight appeared to be a party of drunks. They were full of the Holy Spirit and joy, and the joy of the Lord was their strength. And uh, Terry will be with us at the end of uh, July, where he will speak a bit more uh, about this to us. Let me close with this, though. Again, from Ephesians 5, Paul's saying there, don't get drunk with wine, get drunk with the Spirit. It's essentially what he's saying, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be so full of joy, your hearts will begin to sing. And I want to suggest to you that the singing that Paul is describing here, which takes place in the community of the believers, um where people may well be singing with their spirits, singing with the language of the Spirit, as Paul describes elsewhere, um, where joy is overflowing from our hearts to God and to one another, where we're making music uh, with our hearts, and it's overflowing. I want to suggest to you that that is not just the result of being filled with the spirit but it's also the means of being filled with the holy spirit because the two are connected as we come to jesus as a spirit-filled community singing giving thanks to him making melody to him in our hearts making much of him then the spirit keeps coming to fill us again and again because he loves to glorify jesus That's how we go on being filled with the Spirit. And it's why our fellowship with one another cannot be separated from our fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to come and join us here on Wednesday night 7 p.m. in this room for our evening of worship and prayer. Uh, Come and join us in singing. Come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're also going to be praying for our new small group leaders new members, those who are serving in the wider community around us so that like the 72, you'll know the joy of the Lord as your strength. It's that joy that sustains us through life. Amen? Let's have the band come up. Can we just read this verse again, Psalm 16? Let's read it out loud together as the band come. Let's put it back up, this verse. Can we say this together out loud? Join with me in saying this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Praise God.